All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect, recapping the Super Bowl. Hope everybody out there is doing well. We have Ryan Souls here. Football's over, always a sad time. We're going to recap the last game of the year, which was the Rams winning the Super Bowl over the Cincinnati Bengals. Ryan, thanks for joining the program where we bid adieu to our favorite sport yet again. Always a sad day, but uh, at least we have a pretty good game to talk about. It is. It was a solid game. Happy to be here talking uh, ball with you for the last of the 21 season, man. Yeah, and I know people are going to be critical. I was critical at times, too. It wasn't the best game. It was exciting. There were some lulls in it for sure, but I do think it caps one of the better postseason runs of our lifetime. I think you would agree with that. Yeah, I definitely think it caps one of the better postseason runs, and I think, you know, in the last Super Bowls we've had, I think this is probably the best one in the last probably two or three years Mm -hmm. with the the KC lost last year not being the greatest game to watch even if you were a Tampa Bay fan it just wasn't that fun of a football game uh and then the last game that the Rams played in it was a close game but it was not a good game at all Chiefs Niners that's that's a pretty fair comparison right like they both had moments they're both boring at times uh but uh, yeah that that was about the same you know and look we can't be completely spoiled here like you're not going to get amazing you know Bills Chiefs every time but no. all we want is some competitiveness in a close game in the fourth quarter which we got the late lead change there uh, a lot of different ways to start could go in a number of different ways good and bad but I'm gonna start with the uh not just because I had a future on and winning MVP and it didn't happen but I think this was the Aaron Donald show this was if it is the feather in the cap of of his career which he may retire thinking about it obviously this was perfect like this was the perfect fitting way for him to end his career if he does it because he completely swung that game, Ryan. I I really believe that, you know, when he shoved Burrow out of bounds legally, they got in his face, they did. They tugged on Superman's cape, and uh, he was just utterly dominant at his position. Those last two plays especially, I think he set the record for pressures in a Super Bowl, and the third and one play on Pirine where he just stopped him in his tracks by grabbing him, that was as remarkable as anything I've seen than the last play. This, to me, was Aaron Donald's time to shine, and, and he willed his team to a Super Bowl victory. Absolutely, and, man, I'll say, you know, I, I don't uh, evoke his name often, but that last sequence by Aaron Donald felt very much like MJ's last game in Utah where he rips Carl Malone, comes down, hit the shot. If I mean, it's just, you know, it's not just one play. It's putting a sequence of plays together to take over a game. It's looking to find greatness, and even you go back to that third quarter, where it looked like Cincinnati was going to run mm-hmm. away with it, and Aaron Donald comes up with a sack, forces a field goal, and I, I think the game could have got blown blown open right there. And I don't know, just based on uh, Odell going down and Matt Stafford uh, playing an okay game but not a great game, and the Rams not being able to run the football, I think Cincinnati may have won on that football game on that play. Uh, so, no, it, it was definitely a um, – a crowning moment for Aaron Donald with an amazing career. And like, like you said, if this is the last time, I mean, man, just what a career and what a short amount of time that he put forth so much consistent greatness. You understand why it might be the end. Obviously we're like, you know, he's young, you know, he's not, he still has good football left, but 
his position. I mean, and the fact that, look, we, let's be honest, defensive players we don't really look at as, you know, a quarterback, for example, or even running back or receiver in terms of, you know, stacking championships because it's so much, so much harder for a guy at that position to make any sort of monster impact. And he's doing it on a consistent basis. It was incredible. Uh, you know, and, and, and he did. He swung the game because the Bengals were in control. So that's where I wanted to start. I thought he could have been MVP. I had no problem with it being Cuff, especially because Stafford threw those interceptions. But for the Rams side of things, Ryan, I mean, there's there's a tale of multiple games here. It started with Odell Beckham, two big catches, the touchdown, another long one, where he looked like the guy and the game plan looked like, okay, we know we're going to take, we know Cuff's going to be taken away from us or schemed against. We'll just let Beckham uh, go crazy he gets injured. That changed everything. So, you know, you feel unfortunate, even myself, you feel, you know, sad for Beckham to get hurt, another ACL injury. But it was a really real gut check time. Up until that last drive, the Rams were having trouble. No Robert Woods, obviously. You know, no Hawkinson out there at tight end. And then it has to be Cooper Cup and Matt Stafford. And they finally deliver on the biggest drive of their lives. Yeah, and the, the Rams really just up until really that, that long drive it was a 15 play 70 yards yeah. or whatever they really didn't start playing their getting back on track on offense until that and i think losing odell the way you know especially on a non-contact injury yeah. uh right you know right before the half i think it just you know zaps the confidence out of your team uh, and especially I think it was around that point you had a chance to go up even bigger and you had to, it ended up being it was, a full goal. Yeah, like like, yeah, it was like 10 or 13, three at that time. So they could have really opened yeah. it up. Yeah. They could have really opened it up. And I think they went into the locker room, I think kind of punched in the face, like shot. Mm -hmm. uh, just what happened? Uh, what are we going to do? And I think they were able to respond. Uh, I, I have issues with, both coaches in this game and how it was managed. So I, I really credit the players. I credit the defense and Stafford didn't play a great game, but I credit him with how well he conducted that last drive. And what else can you say about Cooper cup? Yeah. It's an extra game yeah. uh, in the season granted, but to do what Jerry Rice did, and, and a career and a season uh, is nothing to scoff at, man. Yeah, let's be honest, too. I mean, obviously, there's the extra game, but I'm looking at leading in categories. That, to me, like, whether you play 14, 16, 17 games, he led in all the categories this year. So, he mm -hmm. was the guy. Numbers, you know, we can be inflated with one game. But, no, they were – Stafford didn't play, as you said, a great game. I thought he was good. He was great on that last drive. The no-look throw is what's going to be on his career highlight tape for sure. And yeah. they stepped up, and especially for Cup, you know, knowing that there aren't, aren't many other options left, you know, for him to step up. And, uh, man, he, he really did abuse Eli Apple. I'm just going to put that out there, too. Oh, he did. And, I mean, let's just be honest. The the Bengals secondary was not that good. They We saw early on that they were going to take Cooper Cup out of the game. And it's not that the Rams were forcing – Odell Beckham the football they couldn't cover him yeah one -on -one. I actually thought the so, D-line was pretty good though like and we can get to the running decisions to run the ball but I thought the Bengals held up good in the interior for most of that game but yeah mm -hmm. the secondary was their liability and ultimately their downfall absolutely the secondary was 100% the liability and Sean McVay is going to get killed for continuing to run the football but I actually think that was one of the bright parts of the coaching job that he did in this game. Mm. And uh, it was a running play that really saved the game with Cooper Cup getting that fourth and yeah. one 
uh, cutting up the field. And I, I just think that, you know, what I said early on before the playoffs started, that I just worried that this team didn't have any physicality. And I, I didn't know if they could play in a phone booth if they needed to. And what we saw early on with Cincinnati in the postseason was that you can kick them down, but it was very it was going to be very difficult to make this team go away. And uh, the Rams had to win win this game, you know, not being front runners. And I, that that surprised me mm-hmm. most of all. Yeah, you gotta you gotta give credit. I mean, McVay had some some slow parts in the game to say the least. The defense really did keep them in it. Von Miller getting after it, Floyd making plays, but Stafford, you know, he delivered. And we can you can talk about it all you want, but Stafford was, uh, you know, had a lot riding on this uh, for sure. Uh, before we uh, get to the Bengals side of things, Ryan Souls here on the Money Mitch Effect. I do have to say, now I know penalties are going to be talked about a lot of that final drive, which we're going to touch on here momentarily. But before that, not many penalties called, except the Bengals taking two of the dumbest penalties I've seen in a football game, let alone <laughs> let alone a Super Bowl, when you have Hargraves running onto the field in street clothes to celebrate a touchdown, and you have a blatant retaliation shot. Uh, I forget who it was, but hitting Floyd right in the face in front of the referee. So I thought those were just wow moments for me. Yeah, that that <laughs> was just dumb. That was not prepared, you know, ill-prepared team. First time being there, happy to be there. And then two, you know, we didn't mention them being the beneficiary of uh, Higgins almost taking Jalen Ramsey's Great head point, off. and that's why he, he I, was that's, destroyed all game, but that yeah. was his one saving grace. Yeah, a, a Ramsey, not his best game. Still graded out pretty well. Some some lapses. Chase got him. Uh, obviously, Higgins got him on the one play, and then you also have the the last, you know, opening, the final drive first play where he jumped on Chase, and Chase just ran down the sideline. But that's why I have a hard time fully going while wow, Bengals got jobbed here. Yes, I think we would agree that first penalty on the third long holding was a little weak given the fact that they weren't calling that much of the game. But that face mask was a penalty for sure. So I'm not – look, it evens out, and it evened out in my mind. Listen, you don't get job when Tyler Boyd can make a wide-open catch to win the game. Alligator arms, man. And then he right, had, yeah. what, 194-plus non-drops targets where it, was, where it were catches? Mm. Mm-hmm. Big game, big yeah. moments. I mean, that's – I don't know that he gets the first down, but he's right at the marker. So, Right. Um, no, and then that final drive, look, the penalties were one thing. I get it. I mean, some of them were blatant holds, um, but, you know, the Rams went out and, you know, just kept the pressure on. Um, I actually thought the Bengals, I mean, Burrow wasn't amazing. I thought he, again, look, it might be as tough of a job as any quarterback has in football, Ryan, is dealing with that offensive line, knowing that you have Donald and company coming at you, taking a beating. I, I believe that he did get nicked up pretty good on that one hit where he grimaced and limped off the field. But good game, not great. I just wonder how anyone really could have been great given the protection and the defensive heat he was facing. Yeah, you know, I want to give Joe Burrow a ton of credit just for standing in there just this entire postseason and taking the beating that he did. And he he never complained anything about his offensive line. He said he would go to war with those guys, and he did. And he's going to have some stars from this one for sure. You know, I will say just I think the only the only complainer criticism you could have of him is all is really just experience. I think there you go back mission, you see there were some plays, uh, not even plays that he were 
making that were big plays that needed to be made. But that force on fourth and one to chase where he had to check down wide open early on, that he, that he just forced it. I think, you know, a couple of years from now, if he's in this situation, he's not doing that. I think there's right. just, you know, it's a it's a uh, artifact of being young. Yeah. And I think he'll grow from this. But I think history and this sport especially, man, mm-hmm. uh, just because you got there don't mean you're going to get back. So and yeah. in, in that division or that conference rather that is loaded. Too. That, that yeah. graphic I saw of all the guys that haven't gotten back, I know Brady being a huge outlier, but yeah, I agree. The first the first throw is jitters. If, if this is the bad game, though, 22 for 33, one touchdown, no picks, 263. I mean, if that's mm-hmm. the low point, it's going to be pretty pretty good for the career heights he hits. But, you know, look, I, I, I think that they had it up against them, and Mixon actually did have a good day running. Um, I'm curious, though. You know, Higgins 100 yards receiving on four catches. Chase at 89 yards for five. Um, how do you think Zach Taylor did as a coach in this game, as an offensive coach in this game on that side of the ball? What did you like? What didn't you like? So what I liked was that they were still able to get their ball, get the ball to the playmakers. Chase wasn't completely shut out of the game, although he didn't dominate the game. And like you said, Higgins, um, you know, play, he played well. I think the things that I didn't like at all, especially coming in, you had two weeks to prepare. You know how brutal that pass rush was going to be. And my thing is, why would you ever um, set up a game plan with five guys going out into the route? Why not run more two tight ends? Why not chip? Why not run some max protections just so Joe can get some time? I think this was an offense that wasn't really used to taking checkdowns. They were used to the big play. Uh, Besides that, to get on Ramsey, the Rams really weren't going to let them have too many big plays. And I just think that Zach Taylor could have protected his quarterback or tried to protect his quarterback better with some max protects and some chipping. And then I think at the end of the game, I think it's questionable not having Mixon in the game or try to pick up that yard and then just as an overarching thing with that, you got three plays to get one yard and that's the best you got creative wise. I just think we could have seen yeah. uh, some better calling in that sequence. Man, if Burrow would have completed that foot pass, Oh God, it was close yeah. too. He almost pulled it off, but I, I hear you. I also think that was, maybe that's our old man moment or that's coming up where it's just like, you know, it's second and one, third and one, fourth and one, and you're in the shotgun the whole time, but that's new age offenses, you know? I agree. I don't yeah. think he laid an egg. I think coaching, NFL coaching might be the most, you know, second-guessed profession that, that we have publicly, mm-hmm. and we're always going to find issues with things. There's always going to be coaches in the stands that don't <laughs> they don't really know much or, or at that level, but I thought it was right. an okay. I thought it was a solid job. Like, could it have been better? Yeah, but he didn't, you know, he didn't coach his team out of this game or anything like that. I thought the Rams were the better team, and, you know, they had their lull for sure, but they were a top-flight team this year in the NFL, so it made sense that they, you know, won this game, and I don't think Taylor was the reason why necessarily they lost. No, I, I would agree with that 100%. All right, uh, we're going to get to kind of the aftermath of what this means going forward in a little bit, Ryan. But uh, like that segue there, the aftermath, we're going to talk about the halftime <laughs> show now. <laughs> the halftime show. Uh, okay, so a couple things I wanted to get your opinion on, uh, and I'll frame it this way. This halftime show, it was a, you know, a, a, I thought it was really well done. It was a great, you know, tribute to the West Coast rap and the city of Los Angeles, but I think, you know, there were people in the show not from L.A., and there was you know, certain things about it. This, to me, 
correct me if you think I'm wrong, but this was the Dr. Dre show. This was an appreciation for what he did and what he created. You know, that that's how I looked at this, even more so than the West Coast rap halftime show. This was Dr. Dre getting honored as, you know, he should be. Oh, yeah, this was 100% a Dr. Dre show. I, I agree with that 100%. And you, you remember just being kind of growing up in our era of rap and especially the 106 and Park era and any all any and all rappers will come on and say, yeah, we got something for the streets. We got something for the ladies. We got even got something for the kids. And I, I think that's what Dr. Dre was going with. Like, I think he he was able to captivate kind of millennials and younger with Kendrick Lamar. And I think mm-hmm. there's a, a lot of the population that appeals to Mary J. Blige and there's people that appeal to Eminem. And I think he was able kind of to just showcase his his productive uh, godliness, uh, to be frank, mm-hmm. and uh, just his ability to put the right people on the right tracks. And twenty years later, the same beats banging like they did, like they mm-hmm. did the first time we ever heard them. Uh, so no, I agree a hundred percent. But let's be honest: if you are going to do something in the West Coast, and especially football which is so entrenched in rap culture black culture if you're gonna be in la you're gonna have at least snoop dogg be a part of it and why not dr dre so Mm -hmm. it made it made sense where do you put this like a good show a great show an amazing show like you're just the concert itself so like i i'm a minority when it comes to halftime shows because that's not what i'm here for like i'm here for football (laughs) that's good Um, yeah like so I, it, for what it was, I thought it was great. Like I, I listened to, uh, you know, Chronic Two Thousand One and Doggy Style regularly in my rotations anyway. So that I wasn't hearing anything. It's like a oh my god moment. I've never heard anything like this before. But in terms of best best shows ever, for me, it don't get better than Prince singing "Purple Rain" in the rain, man. Like <laughs> I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that. And I can't beat that. I want to frame it in a couple different ways, right? Number one being halftime shows not going to be a normal concert. They have like, you know, a certain amount of time. Everybody has to get their stuff in. I understand mm-hmm. that. And I'm I'm watching it through minutes, through that. Even lens. if you're Dr. Dre. Yeah. That said, that said, I do think it gears towards someone like Prince, obviously a legend, but a traditional rock and roll artist to play instruments and just be the focal point about him. Anytime you have a bunch of different performers, they don't get much time to really go. So if you get a guy with a guitar who can play a ton of different songs and riff and, you know, I, that's where I think it's, I'm with you. I do think Prince had the best one. I think, look, we, we have to also, in terms of the greatest halftime shows ever, I think it was Michael Jackson about 30 years ago is when they really, you know, made him cool for lack of a better mm-hmm. words. Yeah, so we're, we're only going off of 30 years. I don't know that it's one of the all-time, all-time greats. It was good. I liked it, but I wasn't, you know, in love with this show, which was, by the way, a, a point of contention, right? Was this a millennial show or was this a Gen X show? Because, I mean, The Chronic came out in 93. So that's, you know, that's kind of, you know, Gen X got that when they were when they were young, for lack of a better word. So I think definitely. millennials definitely got a, a big fixture of this growing up. Uh, but it was good. I, I liked it. I thought everybody came out. It, it, hit, all the, it hit all the high spots. Although 50 Cent got roasted a little bit online, but <laughs> that's about yeah. it. I will say this, and this is a, a different discussion for another day, but I do think, you know, you, you brought up this being a Gen X or a millennial show. I think that's the power of hip hop, but I mm-hmm. think more importantly, 
That's the power of West Coast hip hop because there's something about that G funk that it doesn't matter. Like their granddad's listening to G funk. Like it's just something about it. Like it's that old Parliament funkadelic yeah. mm-hmm. mixed in with the new stuff going on today or at the time in the 90s. And anybody can bob their head to that stuff. And I think it's West Coast hip hop in particular that makes this sort of thing possible in terms oh. of. Yeah, being like by everybody. You're exactly right, and I mean, it goes beyond LA. Like, you hear some of the Bay Area stuff. Um, I mean, even out, even out where I'm at, Los Angeles now, like you hear too short in in a bar or a club or whatever, and people just it re, they react differently. Yeah, man. I just yeah. remember and, and Mac Dre. I heard at a at a, at a bar yeah, at a, a couple of times, uh-huh. and it just was different. Uh, here's my funniest side. My younger sister lives out here too. This is like four or five years ago, and we're out. It's like a Saturday night and you know uh, all the, all of a sudden the beginning of blow the whistle starts and I'm like get yep. re- I'm like get everybody ready and then everyone went cra- and she was even like because she likes hip hop and she's heard the song but I'm like oh you're hearing this in California that's the biggest difference <laughs> you know that's yeah. so uh, I agree um, you know on that point and yeah the power of hip hop and I just remember I listened to uh, Chronic 2001 just yesterday uh, and I know I'll never say you know it's better than the original Chronic based on what that meant and where you know everything but i will say man it holds up it oh, holds up and the beats does. and the beats are i mean there's never been anybody like him in terms of making beats and just he's like a prodigy and didn't really have any formal training which is the craziest part say what you want about dr dre and there are a lot of things that can be said about dr dre yeah when it comes to music and specifically just making your head bang he has a special gift of just the sounds just locking in so perfectly, especially, and he even talks about this, but especially in the car. Like, mm-hmm. you put on some anything that Dr. Dre produced is going to sound good in the car because that's how he produced a lot of his stuff. He would make sure it sounded good in the car. And it's just it's something special about rolling around on a nice sunny day to nothing but a G thing. It's just something about it, man. It is crazy. Um, and I'll say this, and it's it's the title of the song, and uh, I heard it the other day. It was the first time in, in years, because I have all that stuff, but I, you know, uh, one of the serious uh, XM stations played uh, Ackright from the Chronic, and I'm like, wow, I totally forgot. And I was driving, wow. too, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, he's yeah. a legend, and I thought it was good, and they can all those guys and girl in Mary J. Blige's case can still perform, so I thought it was a good job. A um, couple more things here, Ryan Souls, before uh, you know, we move on. Um, commercials, I mean, we, we like some of them. We didn't like some of them. I think they've kind of taken a step back. They don't want to go edgy. But the Sopranos one was cool, man. It made me reminisce. Yeah, I really liked the Sopranos one. That was that was good to see. I think some other ones that were cool. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it was an NFL-specific commercial, but it was like the animated Lamar Jackson and other guys playing football in the house. I thought that was awesome. And then though the one to me that, that was the most funny uh, by far was the liquid death commercial with the kids having a part. That was good. That was good. I don't know if you saw it. That I was did. hilarious. That was good. I like the uh, just a couple others that come to mind. Uh, the founding fathers not being tech savvy was pretty good, as well yeah. as uh, the big Lebowski spoof with Peyton Manning, Serena Williams, and uh, a few others. I thought that was Oh, yeah, good. that was good. And they're too. all bowling. That was good. 
Um, and I will say this on the softer side. Uh, I always will go for a good Budweiser commercial with the horses. Yeah. I can't even lie. Oh, man. Well, it was good. Uh, just final thoughts on the Super Bowl. I mean, now McVay's thinking about Ryan maybe stepping away. I know they're going to dump the TV truck money at him. I don't know if that's a good idea for him. But the Rams, you know, on that point, whether or not he goes, the Rams went all in for for this. They gave all those draft picks away. It was a crazy, bold strategy. Yet it paid off. Banners fly forever. It's like regardless of what happens in the next five years, it worked. And fans will always remember it as such. Agreed. Um, no matter what happens, it'll always uh, fly. I think, you know, there's a lot of different ways to go with this. I just think reflecting on the Super Bowl overall, I just think it points to why, you know, I, I, I feel like you'll agree with this too. This is the best game in the world because if you would have said at the beginning of the season that the Rams and the Bengals were going to meet the Super Bowl, you know, a lot of people – um, would have looked at you and called you crazy. And I just think the the parody of the game, the, the any given Sunday mentality is as real and is as strong as ever. And I just, I love that. And then as far as um, the teams going forward are concerned, I think the Rams are going to be in some interesting uh, times. You know, one, it's, it's hard enough to, to repeat, but... Aaron Donald, if he decides to walk away from the game, that changes everything. Uh, the defense looks entirely different. The game management looks entirely different. If Sean McVay walks away, um, that changes a lot of things too, especially for Matthew Stafford because uh, – and while I don't think Matthew Stafford is a Hall of Famer right now, I think his Hall of Fame case can be greatly increased if he – as long as he's paired with Sean McVay or a, a good offensive coach. And then as far as the Bengals are concerned, you know, I think we talked about this as the NBA reference last year, or maybe the year before, but when um, the Miami Heat made the finals in the bubble, and I said, you know, this could easily be a team that could be a two seed, or they could yeah. be a seven seed. And I kind of see the same thing with the Bengals. Uh -huh. They have to address this offensive line, and they, I could easily see them being an 8-18 eight eight next year. I guess we did say that about the Suns, but now they're kind of back in the mix. And, you know, the Heat, too. I mean, it's, it's true. Like, yeah. I expect the Bengals to be good competitive, but there's no guarantee they get back here. Uh, I just hope McVay stays in coaching for a little while longer because that TV move is, is a little different. I understand why you would go there. You know, it's so many hours. It's so draining. There's so much to put in the, in the public scrutiny of it all. But if you talk to a coach, they all say there's nothing like it. There's nothing like having the game plan all on you, the ability to influence things, and when it works, it's got. there's no feeling in TV that can replicate good coaching. It's definitely more comfortable, though. I agree. And I just, I think from a psychology standpoint, though, and I think we've, we've seen it with more players our age who have left the game when we thought they had more to mm -hmm. give. Yeah. It just seems like legacy is kind of, mm -hmm. on the field legacy is less important, it seems like. Yeah. Well, congrats again to the Rams, L.A. becoming the city of champions. All four major sports franchises have won since 2014, three in the last you know, two years. It's, uh, it's becoming the uh, city of champions. Um, okay, Ryan Souls here on the Money Mitch Effect. Other news outside of the uh, Super Bowl, two quick stories I want to hit. What is going on with Kyler Murray? <laughs> I, just, I feel like he, him and the Cardinals are at odds, how, he, how that last loss to the eventual Super Bowl champs, Rams, uh, it's being framed in Kyler's mind, I think, that he was a scapegoat for it. There's clearly some bad blood there. 
it's not good, Ryan. It's not good going forward for both parties at hand, and uh, I don't know if it's going to get cleared up anytime soon. Well, I wonder if I'm just making this, you know, too simple, but don't it seem like his, this is just about money? I think he's watched. I hope Josh not. Allen I know. I, I, I think you might be right. Prescott get paid. And I think he just wants his bread. And I think you're going to make that stand now, though, like after that game. I mean, that's the timing is everything. I mean, after that game. <laughs> oh, I agree. But I think also timing is everything in terms of it's the off season. We didn't hear anything about Kyler being, quote unquote, difficult during the season but now that it's the off season it's time for him to maybe think about getting a contract all the stuff just appears i find that weird too he might be the most fascinating situation of any quarterback right now and why i say that is because i just I, when he's on it is like a top five quarterback playing but mm -hmm. whether that's a consistency level he can't reach or the injuries the size is going to keep getting brought up i hate to do it but that's going to be part of this 100%. He hasn't lasted a full season at a at even close to his top level, so well, that would give me that, pause to empty the you know empty the yeah. pocketbook out. And to that point, I think him and the coach are going to be tied to this forever in terms of starting blazing oh. hot and oh. then cooling down. I'm super not a Kingsbury fast. guy. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot to criticize about him. There doesn't seem like yeah. there's good parties here. You know, nobody comes away looking great in this, but I no, do not, think that oh. the, the the Cardinals. You know, from a coaching and a game plan, game plan standpoint, have left a lot to be desired too. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Well, that's the one to monitor. There's some juicy QB. I mean, it's here's what I'll say. There, maybe it was Tom Brady. Maybe it was, you know, Peyton Manning way back when. But the QB market now in the offseason, it was never like this growing up for us, you know, in the last 20, 30 years. There are so no. many more musical chairs. And you have the last two quarterbacks that have won Super Bowls, Ryan, were on previous teams. They come in the first year and they win. So now there is a blueprint like, hey, don't have to be Tom Brady even. Matt Stafford is good, not great. You know, played great for certain stretches. But there is a yeah. scenario now where if you get a quarterback in your system, you build around what they can do. That's why I think there's going to be more, more movement than ever before. Well, and I think that too. But I think this too, Mitch, like the money, we've never seen anything like this before. Not even just the top end of what they're getting. It seems like... There's no median pay scale in terms of winning. It seems like you're either winning with a quarterback who's on a rookie pay scale or Tom Brady, who's an outlier, taking less money. But these quarterbacks who command and are going to command $40, 50000000 million a year, it just seems like that sort of money is expected if you're coming up in line and no one wants to be the person who's no offense thinking about like what Baker Mayfield is thinking about right now, oh, that you you're that. not worth, <laughs> you're not worth the max, No, I know. but you're not worth bottom end money either. And nobody wants to be in that middle range. So I, I just think that's interesting too, because do you want to give Kyler Murray $40 million a year? Man. But if you want to keep Kyler Murray, that's what you're going to have to pay him. I mean, because they can make it ugly with franchise tags, but I don't know, man. I don't know. I still think there's a middle ground that can be. I mean, I don't. I just forty million for Kyler seems crazy to me, and I think it seems crazy to you too. And the same with the Baker Mayfield thing. I I, I understand walking away from the table in certain situations. It's going to be fascinating to see. Uh, Ryan, last thing that Hall of Fame class. We both were not <laughs> like opening. Just instant reaction. First thing you want to say about the 2022 NFL Hall of Fame class? 
a bunch of mid-level. Like, just it just felt like there were players who have been made to wait who weren't on this list that should that should be on this list. I don't think any of these guys are non-deserving, but uh. I felt like there were guys that should have been on in front of them, with the exception of Baselli and Cliff Branch, who should have been on a long time ago. But you can't tell me that Sam Mills is better than London Fletcher. You can't tell me that Richard Seymour is better than DeMarcus Ware. You can't tell me that Bryant Young is better than Vince Wilfork. And Dick Vermeil, I don't I don't know. I coaches is different because how do you how do you rate a 50% winning percentage? It, it isn't isn't he a couple games just over 500, but he's got the Super Bowl. So yeah. that's hard. I don't I don't know. But in terms of players, it, it was disappointing, especially this felt like these last few classes have built up so much momentum. Yeah. Here, uh, here's what I'll say. I've been disillusioned by the Hall of Fame for the last couple of years. Obviously, my guy Clay Matthews Jr. had a lot to do with that. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think that's, you know, don't want to steal anyone's stick here, but it's like the Hall of Very Good for these names. A lot of very good players. Brian Young made one all-pro team um, in his career. Richard Seymour, you mentioned players that are comparably better. Sam Mills, I mean, whether it's Clay whether it's London Fletcher, whether it's Zach Thomas, uh, whether it's Patrick mm-hmm. Willis. I mean, there are other, yep. other guys there. Torrey Holt to Marcus Ware not getting in. Um, no, I just think it was a very pedestrian class, and I don't know the rhyme or reason. Uh, Leroy Butler is another one there. If you want to say coaches, we exchanged this before. Don Coriel, the uh, Chargers guy. How do I measure mm-hmm. a coach? Maybe it's influence on the game. It's being a pioneer in certain concepts in that regard. So I do agree, coaches, it's a lot tougher. And Vermeil had a, a decent run, run with three teams, one Super Bowl championship. Um, but, no, it's going to be tough. The Hester one was interesting, too. I actually think I'll, that's the one area where I will cut them some slack, and we kind of discussed this. He's going to get mm-hmm. in eventually, but first ballot and whatever that means anymore, I just I understand maybe him waiting. Because as great as he was, the best at his position ever, it was still a, a specialist, a unique specialist at that. Yeah, and, and I just think that, like we were talking, I, I think that Devin Hester is 100% the best at what he does. And you know he's the best at what he does when Deion Sanders co-signs that Devin Hester is the best returner. But I just think that um, if you look at impact and you look at impact on winning, I just think there are other players who impacted winning uh, more than Devin Hester did. I think what Devin Hester did was fun to watch, and we may, we may never see that again, especially with how these kickers are now. But I don't know, man. It's just hard. And a lot of that is on Rex Grossman. A lot of that's on Jake Cutler yeah. uh, at the Bears organization. But he didn't impact winning like I think Hall of Fame guys should. That's fair. I uh, just want to read next year the new names. You know, We know all the names that didn't get in this year. Here's next year, and uh, I'll skip some. I know there's other names on this list that just, no disrespect, I probably don't think they're first ballot, but the ones that could be, Dwight Freeney, James Harrison, Darrell Revis, Joe Thomas. You also have Carson Palmer and Chris Johnson on there and Matt Forte, but, I mean, Joe Thomas is a lock. Like, let's just call it. For me, yeah, Joe Thomas is the lock first ballot Hall of Famer. Dwight? Uh, Dwight Freeney? 
Do I don't know if Dwight's the first ballot. He's a Hall of mm-hmm. Famer, but I don't know if he's first ballot. Who who would you just read after Dwight Freed? James Harrison. I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer. Mm. I love think to hear he that. had <laughs> an amazing moment. Revis is and a Hall I of Famer, though. Re- Revis is absolutely a Hall of Famer. Revis 100%. But I don't know if James Harrison is a Hall of Famer. Mm. Well, I think I, he had some amazing moments. I mean, is he? I, I, if, that, that's my whole thing. Like you put Seymour and Brian Young in, like, okay, come yeah. On, I know? mean, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, to that point, absolutely. Chris Johnson would be a fascinating one. TJ Two K didn't have the longevity, but and that's the funny thing is Forte was a longevity guy, but didn't have the peaks that Chris Johnson had. I think Joe Thomas is the only lock for first ballot. Revis might get first ballot, but I agree yeah. with you on Dwight. I don't think he's going to get in this year. Yeah, I wouldn't be mad if um, Revis was first ballot at all. I would not be mad. I need to go back, honestly, mm-hmm. and look at Matt Forte's numbers because he. I when I think about Matt Forte, I don't think Hall of Fame. I don't. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think the only lock I'll say from the guys that didn't get in last year in this finalist class would be Demarcus Ware's in next year. I want to yeah, say Tory Holt, but I don't think he's a lock based on the you know, standard. No, and yeah, the receivers too. It's mm-hmm. always hard to gauge with that. And see what happens. Well, Ryan, another year, uh, I actually got one of the Super Bowl teams right, the Rams. I think I had them losing to the Bills, but that's either here nor there. I'll take a moral victory. You know, Eagles and Browns maybe next year, one can dream. But <laughs> thanks for coming on all season, talking football. Appreciate you, uh, you know, breaking it down, and we'll be chatting next uh, next year, next fall. Hopefully it, it doesn't come, you know, it, do, it comes sooner than rather than later. Man, I agree. It was a great year. Happy to do this always. And uh, take care, man. That was Ryan Souls on the Money Mitch Effect. If you like the podcast, you can find it on, find it on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Leave a rating, review, subscribe right there. Follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. And check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page. We'll be back next week to talk about all the winter sports, basketball, hockey, tennis, you name it. We're back around the Money Mitch Effect. For Ryan Souls, I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Thank you for listening. Keep enjoying sports.